Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the lead pastor at Harvest Baptist Church. Every week, we spend these 25 minutes together telling you the stories of our church by interviewing our members and other friends of the ministry. We'd like to invite you to join us at Harvest Baptist Church this week. There are two services every Sunday, 8.45 a.m. and 10.45 a.m., We offer Spanish translation during the 8.45 a.m. service, Japanese and Korean translation during the 10.45 a.m. service, and that's also when we live stream at hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. This week, Pastor Mike Sproul is our special guest speaker for our missions conference, and there will be more throughout the week for Missions Conference 2024. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Let's begin today's Harvest Time by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Hey, Hoffa Day, Chris. This is a big week for us uh, on our Harvest Campus. Every year, the Missions Conference Week, we see it as the highlight of the entire year. And so we're looking forward to the time uh, that begins Sunday, so this coming Sunday through Wednesday, where we have a keynote speaker that I'm going to introduce to you in just a minute. And then a number of our missionaries that Harvest has supported over the years, we've invited them to come back, and they're going to give us some reports of what God's doing in some places uh, around this region um, and actually around the world. And so uh, if you uh, would come and be with us, we're going to have a great time together. Two services Sunday morning. We have an international dinner that's going to happen Sunday night, 5 o'clock, and then uh, services at 7 o'clock on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. Each one is going to be full of just a vision for the world and asking ourselves from God's Word, what does God have us to do uh, for the calling that He's given us of taking the gospel around the world? So we'd love to invite you to come and be a part of uh, you know, what we see as our calling as a church for, uh, for missions and uh, carrying the gospel to regions that have not heard of Christ. We're talking about being on the front lines, which is actually the connection that we have today with our guest. Dr. Mike Sproul uh, is with us, and uh, Dr. Sproul has a very interesting background, including military. In fact, this is uh, Brigadier General Mike Sproul, chaplain in the uh, U.S. Air Force, and has uh, served on a number of different um, areas. I'll ask you about that in just a minute. But first of all, I want to welcome you, uh, Dr. Sproul. Thanks for being with us for this week and then being with us on Harvest Time. Well, thank you so much. It's just an honor to be here. Uh, Back in the 90s, I was stationed at Anderson Air Force Base as a young captain who was a chaplain. And uh, our kids loved it here. They were in elementary school and my wife taught at UPI Elementary. My kids went to UPI Elementary. So it was kind of uh, driving around the island today was kind of like it's been 30 years since I was here. And it was just great to be back. Well, you have a fascinating background. You pastored uh, a church in Chandler, Arizona, actually a large church, Tri-City Baptist Church, for 20-some years. Uh, it's a church <clears throat> in some ways very similar to Harvest, uh, a large church at a, uh, a Christian school, a Bible college that's connected with it, um, just a lot of variety of things, a mission board that actually comes out of the church, and so you were responsible for leading all of that. Um, so uh, pastor that, leading that. Um, And then this military part, this chaplaincy, which I'm very interested in, uh, has brought you around the world. And as you said, you spent 
two years here, right, up at Anderson as a chaplain. Correct. So um, actually left here uh, having just loved five years on active duty, um, great, great ministry, loved airmen, love, love people. We had a great time at Anderson. And it was my home church where my wife and I had met in the Christian school. Uh, we were high school sweethearts. And my pastor was getting ready to retire. And the church asked me to come back and, and pastor. Probably the only church in America I would have left the military for, to be honest. And uh, my wife loved serving, so much so that my son eventually uh, went to the Air Force Academy, and my son is a pilot, uh, just left active duty, and I've been guard and reserve for most of those, many of those years, last oh, 27, and uh, so my son is actually flying now in the guard unit that I that he came out to family day, you know, when I was pastoring there in Arizona, so that kind of comes full circle as well, but I've had the privilege to deploy four times. I'm old enough to be a Desert Storm vet and just came back from a five-month deployment uh, this time last year, I was at um, in Cutter on a, on my fourth deployment. So, uh, pastoring, uh, going, I had the best of both worlds. I've had the best of both worlds. I think. Mention your wife Elma. Yes, been married how long? So it'll be thirty nine years in uh, in June. I tease and say uh, I found a, a girl when I was fourteen that was willing to laugh at all my bad jokes, and I was <laughs> never going to let her go. Hold on to her like grim death. And uh, we have two wonderful kids. <clears throat> My son is almost 35 and uh, a tanker pilot. My daughter is a nurse practitioner. And my daughter is married. They both attend the church that they grew up in. Yeah, that's great. Um, my daughter-in-law teaches in the school there. My, uh, my son, she's a teacher. My son is a pilot, of course. My son-in-law is an engineer. And my daughter is a nurse practitioner. So my daughter has a five and a three-year-old, and my son has a four and a two-year-old. So I got four grandkids, five, four, three, two. And if you want to know who the greatest grandkids in the world are, just ask me, and I'll tell you all about them. So <laughs> that's great. Um, so uh, you grew up in a Christian home. Your I did. father was an evangelist. Yes. I'm sure there's a lot of parts to that. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit though to your conversation about the military and your chaplaincy. Um, if I remember right, you uh, came out of college, did a couple stints pastor, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then into the chaplaincy, mm -hmm. and that brought you, I think, uh, uh, in California. Yes, my first my first base was Beale. Beale, okay, if, Air Force if Base. If you think of, if you know anything about the military, Blackbirds, um, T, uh, Dragon Lady, it's spy planes, that kind of stuff. Uh, very interesting. I was a direct commission. I was the youngest chaplain on active duty in the Department of Defense. I was 27 and on active duty, just an unheard of early young age, but did seminary in three years, did three years in the pastorate, which at the time was the minimum to get in. And um, God just worked in an amazing way. I, I'd always heard about the chaplaincy, loved the military, um, but I've been told things that weren't true about the chaplaincy. And I ended up being on a college music team in California, and there was an army base nearby. And the guy who volunteered for me to stay the night was an army chaplain. Mm. And we stayed up till like three o'clock in the morning, him refuting all my ideas about the chaplaincy. I came back to see my wife after that trip, and I said, I think God's called us to go into the chaplaincy. And then it was just really miraculous how God opened the doors for us to do that. So I've been doing that as either full-time or a second job. It'll be 33 years of commission service in July for me. 
Thank you for your service, uh, multiple levels. Um, we honor that. You know, of course, many, uh, we have military here at church, of course, all across Guam. Uh, Beale Air Force Base, and then to Guam. And I actually want to come back to that and stop for just a minute. Tell us a little bit more about that time. Tell us about being up at Anderson. Mm -hmm. um, you'd mentioned to me earlier just some ways that God really blessed the ministry during that. It was pretty remarkable. <clears throat> it was a pretty remarkable period of two years. You know, you have seasons in ministry, Pastor, yeah. you know, that sometimes it seems like uh, we would use the term blessings are falling so fast you can hardly pick them all up. And then, then some days it seems like the heavens are like brass, and it's like – and Oswald Chambers tells us in My Utmost for his highest, he says, God uses the periods of quiet to remind us to be faithful in the periods of blessing, mm -hmm. but that they're all really periods of blessing. Oh. <clears throat> so our two years here on Guam were just amazing. I had the privilege of of being the lead chaplain for the gospel service, which is primarily African-Americans. Of course, I'm not, my wife's not, you know, our kids aren't. But it was just, uh, what a great time. We started with about 90, and two years later when I left, we were running between 400 and 450. Hmm. And we just saw um, every quarter we did a big cookout on the beach, and I would baptize 10, 15, 20, 25 every quarter. And um, started a, a singles group. Uh, that had no nobody in it and just in the dorm area. And by the time we were done, we had taken over the community center. We had 50 coming to our, our discussion group every Friday night. Um, we'd had attempted suicides repeatedly when I first got there, I think eight in the first six months. And once our singles group really took off, we didn't have another attempted suicide for the next 18 months. And um, some people weren't so sure that we should do a, a Bible group on Friday night because, you know, normally that's when you go to the club or, or anything. And I, I, my comment back was, no, I, I want to do it at that time because I, I, we, are, we are going to make Christ so wonderful that that won't be interesting anymore. And uh, Jesus became really wonderful. In that group, there's, I think, three men in the ministry today. That, that one is a pastor and an Air National Guard chaplain um, as well, and he was in that group. So just some amazing times. Um, just it was, it was, It's hard to even put it into words. You told me something about you used to tell the soldiers about their Friday night. What's yeah. that quote? <clears throat> yeah, so I used to say when I would go out visiting the flight line, and I would say, hey, come to my, my discussion group. And they're like, oh, no, you know, we're going to go to the club or whatever. I'd say, oh, we'll have more fun, and you'll actually remember it tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> so we would go to the – after the discussion group, you know, we would go to the beach. We would cook out, have steaks on the beach, play volleyball on the beach. I mean, it wasn't one of these stayed, dried, boring. We had we had a lot of fun, great, great fun. And I think I was telling a story when I was deployed in 2013, so fast forward 20 years to the Harvest Connection. When I left, um, I found out in 2013 that one of the men in my group that had gotten to lead to Christ came to Harvest. And um, so in 2013, I get a note from a, a woman that I don't know anything. She found me on Facebook, and she said, I just want to thank you for leading my husband to Christ. And she said, here's a picture of our three kids. And she said, I've never had a chance to thank you. But she said, the reason I have this great family and a great husband is because of what you did for my my." husband when he was 18 and 19 at Anderson Air Force Base. Hmm. And I was deployed at the time, kind of lonely, in the middle of nowhere Asia. And I, and I got this, you know, Facebook direct mess, you know, direct message. It wasn't on my sure, wall. Sure. And um, I was like, 
Lord, that was just so wonderful to encourage me. Um, we had just been going through some very difficult things on that deployment. And, and just out of the blue, thank you for investing in my, my, my husband. Your ministry in the church in Chandler, you know, is significant, and God gave you the opportunity over those twenty plus years of the senior leadership, and I know you were there longer than that, of uh, just influencing a lot of people. Um, the The chaplain ministry, the military ministry, how many years total? It'll be thirty three in July. Okay, tell me again about just the burden for our soldiers and their families. I mean, here on Guam, of course, it's a you know big part of our culture. Um, and tell me you know, why it matters, why the chaplaincy matters. Mm-hmm. You know, just talk about that a little bit. So there's so many issues there. Wow, um, to unroll that. So I think I shared with you, when we left Guam after five years, my, my wife, we were in our late 20s and early 30s in that season of our life. And um, my wife, really we fed 500 singles at our table at one time or another in those five years and uh, we just did so much so much for our our singles in the dorms um got wing commanders involved in that got senior enlisted involved uh, going and cooking steaks and having the ladies of the chapel make side dishes and all that kind of stuff and the statistic i use is when we got done with that i came from a my dad was a minister right and i mean i loved each other parents that loved each other both sets of grandparents were married they loved each other i I, and all of a sudden i'm now thrown into this environment where almost every young person i was working with was from a completely dysfunctional home i mean they didn't know their dad or the parents yelled and cussed at each other and and so my wife really put her arms around these young people because she was from that home Mm. and and christ had christ had changed her life and and she just wanted to share that so it was feeding and doing all that kind of stuff and when we were leaving active duty i asked her i said how many how many of those 500 ish do you think had biological parents that loved each other and we started trying to find the number and we came to about five out of 500. Mm. and so you know the chaplain in that in that environment and the chaplain's wife become almost surrogate parents sometimes modeling what love in a marriage even looks like because a lot of these young people never saw sacrificial love in a marriage so it's not just a pulpit ministry or visiting through their through their cubicles or on the flight line but it's having them in your home letting them see your kids um you know letting them see you and your spouse interact with each other it's just the whole gamut of probably what 150 years in our go in our country every family pretty much had normally and, and chaplains, because so many of these young people go into the military trying to find a place to feed them, educate them, and they're, they're running away from something. Okay. And they're very open to the influence of Jesus Christ. They really are. They really are. You talked earlier about uh, the experience that you had, you know, going back all the way to Desert Storm, mm-hmm. several other deployments. Um, and you've been talking about the backgrounds uh, that will be very familiar to you know many of our listeners that might have a military background. Guam, in general, not just uh, you know stateside that are come here for deployments, um, but Guam has a high percentage of uh, you know our local mm-hmm. people that join the military, mm-hmm. and so there's, there's just a lot of experience there. Um, what else would you say are particular challenges for 
not from their past, but current. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's not easy to, uh, you know, serve in our military. So current singles, families, mm-hmm. what are some of the challenges that they're facing right now? <clears throat> so, wow, the, the number is so high. Let me see if I can do my own anecdotal evidence and sure. pull up two or three. <clears throat> I think um, our, our deployment and readiness issues are, are significant. We're still... So when I deployed last year being a senior pastor of a church, I had one member that wrote me and said, because I'd said, you know, as a guardsman, the militia, there were pastors that preached in their pulpit, took their their collar off and went to be with General Washington as a chaplain. And his response to me was, when he wrote me objecting to me going on a deployment, um, he said, well, we're not at war, so I don't think this qualifies. And I thought about that for a couple of days and I, I wrote back and I said, well, just because the media doesn't tell you about all the deployments and all the stresses on families and being away from families, just because the media doesn't highlight that doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what I found <clears throat> having had 10 years between deployments is the stressors on our families are every bit as high as they were after 9-11. Um, we are still deploying. You're still having long stretches away from each other. So my my uncle was in World War II and went away for three years and came back. Mm-hmm. What our folks do is they go away for six months and they're home for 18 months and then they're away for four months and then they're home for 18 months and then they're away for six months. And it's hard on the kids. It it's hard on relationships. Yeah. It's hard. That That's just the way it is. And uh, there is no easy way to, there, there is no easy answer to that. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's really good and really helpful. And I know we've got people listening right now that they're going to relate to that. They're going to feel that. You and I talked earlier, and I've told a lot of people this over the years. I don't have any military background, but um, have a chance to interact with a lot of people, of course, that, that do. And one of the things I love about Guam is that there is a place for a reset when mm-hmm. you come here, mm-hmm. and we watch that happen over and over. We talked about that last night. Yeah, spiritual reset, sometimes family reset, um, just some of the distractions of life are no longer there, and uh, something about being on the <laughs> the island. For some people, they get a little island crazy. For a lot of people, it allows you to focus mm-hmm. and reconsider. and. So, you know, there might be somebody listening to that's like, hey, that's it. And I just want to encourage you, man, uh, find some of that focus and that direction in God's church and in in the word. And if we can help you, we'd love to do that. You mentioned earlier that there are seasons of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something I've been thinking about more over the last few years. I can look back, you know, now I've got a few seasons Mm -hmm. of my adult life. If you were to look back and kind of target, I don't know, in your adult life, a few of seasons, could you describe the big takeaway from each of them? Maybe um, a significant uh, regret, something you'd like to do over, maybe a big challenge or a lesson. So for your listeners, I just turned 60 and um, a lot like Harvest, pastored a church um, we, we moved an existing church nine miles down the road uh, so that our college could grow, built a $40 million campus out in the middle of the desert. The, praise the Lord, you know, the, my successor pastor has, they've been able to get completely out of debt. Uh, when we moved into that facility, um, we had nine days of cash hmm. and 11 million of debt. <clears throat> and um, 
you know, um, but it's exactly what God wanted for that. So that mm-hmm. was a season. But I think it's interesting. Um, I think each season has, if you live for the Lord, each season has great victories. And I think, you know, as you look back on it, when you get to be 60 and your your dad dies, mm-hmm. you do naturally start to think, um, okay, um, you know, my turn is next. I mean, you don't do that in a morbid way, but that's just that's just how it is. And I think it does cause you to be somewhat reflective, not to slow down, per se, in serving the Lord, but okay. <clears throat> so I would say they, probably similar to um, decades, I guess I accepted Christ at an early age, but really gave my life to the Lord when I was 14, 15. And um, served the Lord, went to college, graduated, got married just a few days out of college to my high school sweetheart, went to seminary, did 96 hours of seminary in three years, very driven, paid. I wanted to serve the Lord. My wife wanted to serve the Lord. You know, no debt, uh, paid for it all, three jobs, full-time, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think maybe in my 20s, I would say the lesson I learned is, and I learned it from my parents, you know, don't be lazy in serving the Lord. Um, it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, Lamentations 3.27 says. And and I, I sometimes worry, I think all older generations do, are, are young people um, as energized by the gospel hmm. and worldwide evangelism, are they really energized by that? Or is it a kuna matata? You know, and, and not to be negative, I think on the flip side of that, my regret might be um, I was so driven that that did I smell any roses in my 20s, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. And I think there's a, probably a happy medium between sure. those two. Yep. Um, <clears throat> uh, late 20s, we started having kids. Um, I have no regrets about that, uh, none, none whatsoever. So I would say moving into our 30s, we were doing the military. And then, then we moved back and took over a, from a, was a successor of a founding pastor. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge. Yeah. And a great man, a truly great man, um, uh, but 30 years planning and founding a church, uh, it's hard for that person to give that up. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, I think the lesson for me was, in my 30s, was how to manage my own desire to lead with paying deference and homage to an older brother who had been my mentor yeah. and and it taught me so much and not to push him out of the way but let's give this space and time and let him make those decisions and and God still has it I, I think if there's any regret probably in my 30s um, it, it was I didn't smell the roses mm-hmm. <laughs> the 40s was I think um, learning how to love your wife and love your kids mm-hmm. and I thought I did in my 20s and 30s, but when you hit your 40s and you have teenagers, I jokingly tell my son that he owes me his life because I took sharp objects out of his mother's hands many nights while he was sleeping <laughs> as she was going into his room. <laughs> so I, I jest a little bit about that as well. But I mean, it was, it was really learning how to self, 
to be sacrificial for your family, I think is the lesson of my 40s. And I have to be honest, I, I was so sacrificial for the Lord, but being sacrificial for your family is a different animal. Right on. Yep. It is a completely different animal. And I don't think you get that in your 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, I, and I think if there's any regret in the 40s, it's saying, did I sacrifice enough? Mm-hmm. I think in my 50s, it was learning to discern God's will for a later in life change of ministry. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we left a very successful church after 20 plus years and took a role as the senior Air National Guard chaplain in DC. And then after that was done in two years, we took, as you know, because your daughter is in our church, you know, we took a role of a, a small church, 35 elderly people that 20 years ago was 350. And it really is, to my way of thinking, the call of the younger generation must be to replant America. Mm-hmm. And and there are churches that have buildings and facilities that are closing all over America today because they don't have young pastors. And that's a generation, two generations to build those facilities and they're being sold and plowed under and turned into apartments yeah. all across America. So we really took that vision on to say, okay, and God's been really gracious to us. Your daughter's been a huge part of that and your son-in-law. But I mean, uh, we've just added three families in the last two weeks and the attendance has nearly tripled in the last three years and God's doing great things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think learning to discern God's will that even later in your ministry life, you can change directions to follow him. And people have said to me, why would you leave a church of hundreds for a church of 35? And I just say, because God led us to do that. Yeah. Thank you for opening that up. It's actually helpful to kind of think through through your eyes and learn and listen to that. We're out of time. Let me ask you one more question. We love discipleship around here. I think Mm -hmm. God's church does. Um, So just one 30-second answer. Who changed you? Um, Who invested in your life in such a way that it had a radical, made a radical difference in you? And then what was it about them that so impacted you? So there'll be three people. I'll do 10 seconds on each one. First would be my senior pastor, Mm -hmm. um, the pulpit ministry, and his private, what I would call professional shepherd chats. Mm. My dad, I, I really learned listening to him preach. Night after night as an evangelist kid, I, I learned how to preach with a passion and heart for souls. Mm. But probably the person that really impacted me so much was my youth pastor. Mm. And um, he was just a pipe fitter that had gotten say accepted Christ in his 30s gone to Bible college with a full family. He was a union guy. His forearms looked like Popeye. He was from Michigan. He was rough and tumble and mean almost. And, and yet he just had a heart for everybody. And, and uh, he, would, he would call me up and say, hey, Sproul. He said, hey, I'm, I'm doing some work on the church. Why don't you, I'll come and pick you up and I need some help. Well, I was incompetent. I, I didn't know how to do a pipe or anything. And all he wanted to do was have me hand him tools yeah. so he could talk to me. Yeah, And he did that over and over and over again. He'd say, hey, I'm going out to call on somebody. These kids haven't been to church. I'm going to pick you up in 10 minutes. You're going to go call in with me. I'm like, oh, mom, he says he's coming in 10 minutes. Well, you better get dressed. <laughs> yeah. And he, he did 
work with me so that he could talk to me. Mm -hmm. He found reasons, and I have modeled that all across my ministry. Um, My youth pastor died of COVID two years ago Mm. in his 80s, but he really impacted my life. Love that. That's helpful for us. The time invested, somebody that genuinely cares, and and, uh, then willing to, you know, uh, as much as possible, transmit my passion for God, my care for people to somebody else. That's great. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to this week together, uh, praying that God would use you in your preaching and teaching ministry at each of these sessions. Um, Chaplain Sproul, Dr. Mike Sproul, um, Brigadier General uh, Mike Sproul, thank you for being here, and uh, we're looking forward to God's work. The best title is Pop-Up. That's what my grandkids call me. There you go. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Harvest Time. Of course, at this point in the program, we always want to personally invite you again uh, this week to our Missions Conference 2024. We have services this Sunday at 8.45 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We do broadcast those services live here on 88.1 FM and khmg.org. And our Missions Conference services Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday will be broadcast live here on 88.1 FM and khmg.org as well. We hope to see you this Sunday and through our Missions Conference. And thanks for listening to Harvest Time.